Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 101. Welcome to RestaurantUnstoppable.com. Listen to successful restaurant professionals as they discuss the tools, tactics, and services they use to better lead, manage, and market their restaurants. Join our community and make your restaurant dreams unstoppable. Here's your host, Eric Cacciatore. Yo, what is going on, all you unstoppable restaurant professionals? You know who it is. I have another great show for you today with a story you're going to want to remember and some advice that you cannot afford to pass up on. But before I hit play, just a reminder, please do reach out to me. I'm always looking for guests on the show. Facebook, LinkedIn, Google+. There's so many ways to connect with me, but the best way is my email Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. My ears are wide open. All you got to do is talk to me, and I'll do my best to deliver on whatever it is. (laughs) I'll do something, I promise. So uh, with that said, enjoy today's show. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Robert Siska. Chef, how are you? I'm excellent. Thank you very much. A little, a little cold here, but everything's oh, good. I know. I think we're we're seeing light at the end of the tunnel. It's supposed to warm up. Uh, I sure, I sure hope so. A little bit. Of, I don't mind the snow, but the negative ne- negative degree weather kind of uh, kind of hurts a little bit. <laughs> All right. Are you ready to drop some of Restaurant Bombs knowledge on us? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's do it. Chef Siska is a graduate of Johnson and Wales and has worked his way through New England and New York. While in New York, he fine-tuned his skills at One If By Land, Two If By Sea, before coming sous-chef at the renowned Le Bernardin. During his tenure at Le Bernardin, they earned a Michelin three-star award and a four-star award from the New York Times. Today, Chef Siska is the executive chef and partner at Bistro du Midi in Boston, Massachusetts, and uh, just recently, Bistro Dumidi was recognized as one of Boston's top 50 restaurants. And I think it was probably, this is, is this your fourth time in a row? Uh, yep, fourth time in a row. Wow, that is awesome. Congratulations. I mean, this is just a quick overview, a taste of who you are and what you're all about. So I'm going to pass it over to you now, Chef, to kind of dive deeper and give us a full serving of who you are and what you're doing today. All right, so a little bit about myself and I started when I was... Uh around 15, 16, cooking with my mom at home. Um, I worked uh, a little bit in the dishwasher at some restaurants. I, I worked around, tried being a waiter, tried you know, a couple different things. And then uh, once I graduated high school, I said, you know what, let me give it a try. And uh, I went to Johnson Wales. And after that, you know, just kind of worked around different restaurants, worked in about seven different states in about five years, and just, just, just tried fine-tuning all my skills as much as I could until, you know, I brought myself to Boston now. Awesome, and uh, I mean, what? What? Tell me a little bit more about your restaurant. What you guys are doing over in Boston? Uh, Bistro Dumidi, um, you know, right on the Boston Common on Boylston Street. Uh, we are a Provencal cuisine. Uh, we first opened. We were a little bit more rustic, a little bit more casual, and we kind of worked our way into a little bit more of a, a, a refinement, a little bit different than when we first opened. Um, it is two floors. Uh, we have two different re- uh, two different kitchens, two different menus downstairs. We kind of call it our uh, it's our our cafe where it's uh, street level, the doors open in the summer, it's a beautiful location, it's really nice, if you haven't been by, 
have to see it just when you when you walk through your doors are wide open right up look in the common and it's, it's a really really nice place um boston d uh doom d is a part of a larger restaurant group mark correct yes so uh, we're part of the mark restaurant group which uh marlon bella restaurant corporation we have uh four different restaurants in the usa we have um Actually, five. Well, we have a Boche in Columbus, not one building. We have a Boche in Madison downtown. Uh, we also have Morello Bistro in Grand Connecticut. And then uh, we also have um, Francois Payard's uh, Bakeries, all established in the USA. And then we also have a couple restaurants in London where the restaurant is based out of the restaurant group. We have uh, Morton's Private Club, uh, the Greenhouse, and we also have Umu which all three are uh, Michelin-rated restaurants in, in the U.K. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the group of people you're working with, the team that you have behind you, um, you guys are doing some great stuff, and I, I know we're going to learn some great things from you today, and I cannot wait to get started. And uh, I just w- really want to quickly point out, uh, you mentioned you, you did a little bit of everything, and I think that's just so important uh, for people who are getting into this industry to, to try a, a little bit of everything to make sure it's right. Do you want to speak to that real quick? Yeah, sure. I mean, you really got to find out what you want to do. The best thing about the, uh, the hospitality industry is it's, it's so broad, and you can go into so many different fields, whether you want to be a you know, general manager, a uh, manager, or a server, bartender. I mean, there's just so many different things that you could do uh, with that field. I mean, I, I started, I did start in the front of the house, and I, and I did enjoy it a little bit, um, and then I just really wanted to go to the back house and see if that's what I wanted to do. And I continued for a while, and I actually did both. When I was working in Tonkin, I uh, actually was a waiter and a uh, chef. And both, I would do breakfast and lunch in the morning, and then I would uh, wait tables at night. And kind of just really, really liked the kitchen aspect, mm-hmm. and, I, and that's what I kind of stayed with. Yeah, I think that's something we can all learn from. I mean, I think a lot of people that get into this industry um, without a lot of experience, and then they waste so much time w- without having that focus. But if you can... Do you, if you can figure it out early on before you spend the money on an education, it can really uh, do you a lot of good things. So uh, thank you for letting us get to know you. Now that we do know you, I would like for you to share with us maybe a, a success quote or mantra. This is a motivational podcast, and that's how we do get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling. So what do you have to share with us today so something that we start doing that especially in any restaurant i've worked at is you know always taste your food it's something uh chef Pair always really really hammered us down that you know you have to constantly taste you're never going to know if it's enough seasoning if it's enough textures or acid in your dish so taste t- always 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 taste your food is pretty much uh, you know something i always live by in the kitchen awesome thank you for sharing that and uh I guess now we're going to talk about you and your it factors. Um, this podcast focuses on the edge of, on the individual because what I've learned is there's no such thing as a great restaurant, only great people in restaurants. So what are your it factors that make you great? Um, one thing I've learned, you know, growing up throughout my career is, you know, put your head down and work hard and, you know, just constantly push as hard as you can just to, just to you know, be the best. You know, don't, don't always think, don't ever think you know it all when, you know, you see a lot of young Young chefs come up in the industry, and, you know, they're just trying to say, oh, this, that, you know, just put your head down and say yes, chef, and don't talk back to anybody. And just really try to, try to work your way through. Once you, you know, once you think you know everything in this business, it's, that's when you're really going to be lost. You just said, you know, I've been cooking for almost 17 years now, and I can't wait to learn for over the next, you know, 30 years of my career. Awesome. So uh, to paraphrase, your two it factors, one is your work ethic, always pushing to be better, and your second is just being willing to learn. Does that sound spot on? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much, exactly. Always, 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 always ready to learn. 
Awesome. Um, so can you share with us a time that these it factors uh, bring us down to a story where your ability and willingness to learn or maybe your work ethic help you get to that next step? Yeah, I remember my, uh, my one of my first days at Laverne Dam when I got there was, uh, you know, it was really, really tough. Everybody started in Garmage no matter whether you were a chef somewhere or sous chef, it didn't matter. Everyone started right, you know, in the, in the, in the, on the salad station. And my uh, my first day, I got kicked off the line for, for making a salad, and it was kind of like, of course, it was a little embarrassing, and it was a little upsetting, you know, you get home, and you tell your wife, like, I was worked. It's all great. I got kicked off the line for making a salad, you know, <laughs> worked in the industry for already eight years, and then I go there, and I couldn't even do that correct. But, you know, it's, I, I mean, I, I thought it was I thought it was right, but it, it didn't matter. It, just how it was there, if, you know, it wasn't perfect. It was, you just, you know, they pushed and pushed for perfection every day, mm-hmm. and that's why it's a great restaurant, as it is. Mm-hmm. You know, so the same thing with there. You, you know, you didn't move. You didn't move stations there until you could do everything perfectly by yourself because you're always watched by sous chefs and everything. Yeah. Would you say that this experience of being pushed off the line because you thought you had it right was that kind of the eye opener to you that you know if I want to you know grow in this industry I really have to be willing to do it other people's way and to constantly learn. Is is that? Accurate yeah, to say? that's accurate. Yeah, I mean, every but no matter what kitchen you go to, every chef is going to have a different, you know, it's going to be a different style of, of either even cooking or even the way the line runs. You know, you can go to well, any of the three Michelin star restaurants or two Michelin, any restaurant you go to, they're going to see a different style. You know, Danielle has different styles than Eric Pear, and Pear's got a different style than Thomas Keller. It's just, you know, and that's the greatest thing about restaurants is. Nothing is the same. Nothing is set in stone. It's the type of style that you know it, they create what you want to be into. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it's obvious that in this industry, to be somebody in your position, like a, an executive chef, you have to be a great leader. But to get to that point, can you talk to us maybe a little bit about how important it is to not only be a great leader but to be a great follower? Yeah, um, I mean that's a, a big step that I see a big thing uh, people, my sous chefs, go through. Um, the difference between being a leader and being a cook is, you know, it's two totally different things. Managing a kitchen versus cooking is some of the hardest things for people to take in their next step. Um, you know, you could be the best cook in the world, but if you can't manage a kitchen, you know, it, it's not, you're not going to have a successful restaurant. So when I see some of my line-level guys, and I go to promote to be a sous chef, you see they're struggling six months, a year in, they're like, you know, chef, this is really tough, I'm having a problem getting, you know, this, like, you have to, you have to be able to get some respect from your cooks and respect from everybody else. Otherwise, you know, it's just it's not going to work out. So mm-hmm. being a difference between being a leader and a follower is it's it's a big difference. It, you know, there has to be a there has to be a hierarchy though as well. You know, mm-hmm. if you don't have a hierarchy in the kitchen, then you don't know who's the boss or who's the leader or or how things go. Yeah, and you talk about earning that respect, and if you if you if you're somebody who's working in a kitchen under somebody, and you really do follow through and listen. And uh, you can earn their respect. It can get you to great places. So it's really powerful and a great lesson. Um, so, Chef, you've shared with us how these if factors of you know your hard work ethic and your uh, being willing to follow and learn, how that got you to where you are today. But can you share with us a time you just fell hard on your ass <laughs> and maybe failed or just came up short? Uh, and then tell us what you learned from that experience. Bring us right down to the story. Yeah, I mean, there's there's times when you know, especially when you're you're a sous chef and you're looking for that executive chef job, and you know, you you're constantly trying to do tastings. I did a couple of different tastings for different jobs, and which brought me to you know to Boston. Now I you know I wanted to stay in New York, and then 
I kind of wanted to move to Boston. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And, you know, I did about four or five different tastings for different jobs. And, you know, one, I, I thought I did a good job, and I realized there were some things that I didn't do properly, and, you know, and I ended up not getting the position. Mm-hmm. And then when I uh, you, encountered this... Do you mind if I interrupt and ask what you didn't do properly? Yeah, um, you know, I, I, you know, some of my meats were a little bit uh, undercooked for what they were looking for, and uh, my pasta was was a little, a little more al dente than what they were particularly looking for. Again, I, I thought some of it was proper, but yeah, and maybe I, I think it was not the type of restaurant that I, I was supposed to be in. I mm-hmm. think kind of it would end up being a good thing that it didn't work out with that particular establishment. Chef, you know, it's really powerful how you, you point out that maybe it wasn't the right fit and you did what you thought was right and you, you stuck to your style, but it just wasn't right for this restaurant. So you didn't necessarily fail. You just, you know, you learned that, you know, it's probably better off that they didn't take you because it wasn't right for you. That's really great stuff. So uh, thank you for sharing that and uh, please continue on. Um, so that's so that brought me to my next tasting, which was, you know, tasting for Bistro Dumitty where they actually flew me to London and I had to do a 20 course tasting in two days to get my position where I am now. So what would you say your biggest takeaway from this experience was? Um, you know, just like, um, it sounded like the same, same thing with the salads, you know, put your head down and try harder. You know, you're never gonna, you're never gonna be perfect every time. You just gotta work harder and harder and the next time you do it. Would you say you are maybe an optimistic person or maybe buoyant and are able to recover quickly from uh, when times aren't exactly the way you want it to be? Yeah, yeah, I'd say I'm definitely a very optimistic person. I'm always looking for the next best thing or always trying to find out what's better. You know, I have a, I have a lot of hobbies. You know, I like to hunt. I like to golf. I like to do a lot of different things. Yeah. And, you know, those are two not easy sports to be doing. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like you're going to go out every day and see a deer. You're not going to go out every day and get a hole-in-one. So it's, it's, some days are frustrating, and then you know, the days that are rewarding are sort of just some of the best amazing days. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing both your story of success and your story of a time where you came up a little short. Um, we're going to dive into the part of the show I've called Knowledge Bombs, and what you're going to do is just drop some big old restaurant bombs of knowledge on us. Are you ready? Yes. All right, Chef, let's do this. Uh, the first question I have for you is uh, – on the topic of funding a restaurant, what advice do you have for somebody who has been working in restaurants and wants to open their own restaurant? Like, where would they start to get the funding? Uh, well, you have to get some partners and you have to get some investors, and it's something that's, you know, to, to just be ready that it's something that you're definitely interested in doing because, you know, the failure of restaurant rates is, is pretty high, and it's, it's definitely a dangerous thing to, to get involved with. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any advice on trying to find the right partner or investor? Um, make sure you get along. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just you know, it's it, it's just don't again don't don't jump into anything right away. Mm-hmm. Just be uh just be careful what you do. What are you, what would you say if you know most people? What, what's the most common mistake when it comes to trying to find an investor or partner? Uh, most likely, probably try and pay them back in a certain you know certain amount of time. You know, some people. You, know, you work on budgets, you work on things that you want to get accomplished in a certain amount of time. If somebody asks, you know, if the investor asks you for their money back in three years, just be ready to make sure you, you can promise that and don't fall short and not be able to do it because the restaurant business is a, a day, sometimes a day-to-day thing. You know, you could be busy one day and you never know what's going to happen the next. Yeah, I can, I can understand that. I mean, when you finally get somebody who's willing to invest in your dream, it's it can be tempting to pull on the trigger but if you're promising something you can't deliver on, you have to protect yourself. So 
I guess what I'm hearing is make sure you can deliver on the agreed upon standards to which you know you're getting this uh, this agreement. Uh, make sure you can follow up on your your part, and uh, that's great advice. So. The next question I have for you, Chef, is on the hiring process. When you're looking for cooks in your kitchen or any position, what do you look for in a person? Um, I look for, you know, try to, it's hard to tell on the first day. You know, we try to set up what's called stages here. Mm-hmm. To interview people, they come in, they work with us for the day. We, we, we take a look at them, they take a lot, look at us and try to make sure we, they, they seem like a hard worker and somebody that, you know, is, is ready to work for us and ready to listen. You know, we don't want anybody that's going to come in here and, and not listen to what we're trying to do here and, and, and you know, pay attention to our cuisine. Mm-hmm. Um, so you say you look for people who are ready to listen and are ready to learn. Are there any things that trigger this quality that you notice, you pick up on? Is there a trick you use to try to find out if they are a good listener and, and are willing to learn? Um, it, you can kind of tell from day one if they if they put their head down and they're and they're doing what you say right from the beginning. If you have someone that comes in and looks around and doesn't really seem very focused or paying attention, you know, mm-hmm. too much. We try to um, a lot of we do hire a lot of interns at the restaurant. We do um, hire a lot of uh, inexperienced people. Mm-hmm. This way, um, I can train them the way I want to train them. Uh, not having people come in here that have worked in the industry for seven eight years. Know, that already know, you know, that know a lot and don't want to be trained, you know, my particular style. You know, some people think they know, you know, we have, every, it's a big family here at the restaurant. Everybody comes in every day, everybody says hello, everybody says mm-hmm. goodbye. You know, we don't uh, try not to have any egos here and try to keep everybody, um, you know, in place. So what would you say the significance of keeping those egos down is? Um, just you know, constantly showing showing them what they're doing wrong. I mean, obviously praise them when they're doing a great job and say, hey, this you know, even if it's all the way down to a salad, hey, this you know, the salad looks great, you know, good job, mm-hmm. you know, down to you know, you select the crudos that we have on the menu, you know, who made this? This tastes this tastes this tastes great, you know, this is this is really really good. Constantly showing them what they're doing properly, and if they're not doing any, if they're not doing something properly, make sure you reinforce you know what they did wrong or why they did wrong or what you're looking for. This way, they're learning and they're also seeing that they're not you know making you know they're not making more mistakes or they don't constantly think they're making everything perfect every time. Yeah, and I think this is a good segue into the next question, which is once you find these good people, uh, what is your advice for keeping them on your team? And I think you're kind of touching on it right now, correct? Yeah, yeah, pretty much treating them. Try to treat them good, you know. Like don't, don't as I said about being a, being a family is everybody comes in here every day, you know. They have everyone smiling, everyone being happy. You know, nobody wants to go to a job where they're miserable and they're gonna, you know, they're gonna go in and they're just, they're just, that's just gonna show, you know, what what they're gonna produce that into their food and not make good good season quality mm-hmm. dishes. Yeah, and so if people you, come in, they try to be very happy, optimistic. You know, try to teach and learn and teach them every day. Yeah, you've, you've mentioned it a couple times now, teaching uh, and how that is important. Why do you think teaching is so important in the industry? Um, because again, about I was about me hiring, you know, interns and not too much experience. They don't really know, they don't know my style of cuisine, and they don't know what I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. The only way they're gonna learn, the only way they're gonna see it is by me teaching them. Or you know, a lot, you know, I two, three sous chefs here, an executive sous chef, and I showed them. Some have been here for four years, almost five years, and they've been worked their way up, and now they're showing them. And mm-hmm. you know, teaching is, you know, not everybody knows everything, so they have to they have to learn. 
Yeah, and I'd like to use you as an example. Uh, I have did some research on you, and you, you mentioned your tenure uh, at uh, Le Bernardin. Like that, for you, you said it was a grad school. And I, I feel like if people look at your restaurant, uh, Bistro du Midi, they're going to look at that as grad school, too. And this is an investment of their time into their, their craft and their trade. And if they feel like they're learning with you, do you think that has an impact? Yeah, absolutely. I was saying what you said about it. I consider Laverne grad grad school for me. It was, you know, it was a very high-end seafood restaurant. Yeah. And, you know, I learned an amazing, I had an amazing respect for seafood working there. That translated into what I do here in Boston, or even closer to the water. Um, we have some of the best, best seafood I've ever seen come here, you know, straight from fishermen, straight from the straight from the docks, come right to the restaurant. And, you know, some of the... My cooks here are learning the same techniques that I learned there. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're getting very, very similar experience that, that you would get there. Awesome. In this industry, uh, we have some crazy times. Things get nuts. People get in the weeds. And how do you lead a team in those crazy times? Um, my advice is just to try and stay calm. I mean, I, there's a lot of chefs are – it's a very – up upbeat business, very hectic, very stressful. Um, something that I'm very, very good at is uh, remaining calm in, in very hectic situations. Mm-hmm. Have you ever not worked... Trying, oh, sorry, go ahead, Jeff. And not trying to freak out when, you know, when, when you're in the weeds or when you're too busy or, you know, you they just flat out the restaurant. You have 160 people sitting down one time and all of a sudden the printer starts going off. Is, you know, as a chef, you control the pace of the kitchen and you try to control... You run the flow, and if you start being acting crazy and hectic, the whole restaurant starts acting crazy and hectic. You start staying, you staying calm and staying in control. You'll have, you'll have an in control team. Have you ever worked for a chef or uh, maybe a restaurant owner or general manager who does get crazy and hectic? Um, no, not really. I've been pretty fortunate to work under some great, great chefs and great managers and you know, great people. Okay, cool. All right, Jeff, so what's one book or magazine or some kind of resource you use uh, to kind of stay with the times or, to, you know, a book you'd suggest to anybody getting into this industry? Oh, man, it's a tough question being that there's so many great cookbooks out there. <laughs> there are. Um, I mean, one in particular, I mean, I, I mean, what I would have to say is, I mean, On the Line, it's one of uh, Eric Repair's books. I'm, I'm actually in it, so I do look <laughs> at it a good amount just to, uh, just to, just to keep my, you know, basis on what we used to do, what I used to do there at Le Bernard. I mean, but there's so many. I mean, Sunday Supper at Luke's, one of Susan Goyne's book is, is a lot of great inspiration for the seasons. And one magazine is Art Culinaire. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a magazine that, it's a book magazine that gets published, uh, you know, quarterly. And it's, it's just it's got some great chefs in there. It's always great inspirations. Uh, can you share, like, one of the, the huge, like, valleys? You, you mentioned the second book. What was the second book you mentioned? Uh, Sunday Supper at Luke's. You said there's a lot of inspiration in that book. Can you think of one thing that was inspirational in that book? Um, it's just, you know, we try to be as seasonal as possible here at that bistro in, mm-hmm. in Boston. And in her book, she just, like a lot of the chefs, they break down a lot of the restaurant, a lot of the seasons and what ingredients are, are big in the season. And it just kind of just helps you keep your mind focused and forward on what seasons are coming up. I always try to stay as, as far ahead as possible. So now that it's January and, you know, I'm, I'm already looking yeah. at Late, late winter and spring menus just trying to just always trying to stay ahead of, ahead of things awesome and if you guys are interested in picking up any of these books you can just head over to restaurant unstoppable slash 101 
and they'll be right there in the show notes waiting for you. All right, the next question I have for you, Chef, is on the topic of marketing a restaurant or maybe even marketing yourself. Uh, I mean, what tricks of the trade do you use and what's your best advice for marketing? I mean, nowadays, social media is huge. Um, everybody's doing the Twitter, the Instagram, the Facebook. I, I wasn't into it a couple of years ago. I was kind of staying away from it, but, you know, I, it's it's so big these days that I, I'm, I'm on there a good amount of trying to promote myself, promote the restaurant, just to get it out there and let people, you know, people can see. Even myself, I'm on there looking at, you know, what other chefs are doing or what trends are going on. And it's a great way to constantly be reading a new book by looking on Instagram or looking on Facebook. You're, just, you're seeing different, so many different things. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you do at your restaurant, a tool you use or a system you use for using social media to market? Um, we just try to make sure we're active. We try to make sure we take you know, a picture of something new or whether it's front of house or wine driven or service driven or food driven. We're just constantly trying to stay active on there and you know, let, pe- let people see that don't get a chance to come in the restaurant you know, either all the time or never have if you're in California or somewhere else. You know, take pictures of the food, take pictures of different things in the service industry and just try to show people what we're doing here. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Chef. So the next question I have for you is on the topic of, you know, at the rate at which the industry is changing with technology, are there any technologies that your restaurant has adopted or maybe something you have adopted as an entrepreneur to kind of better organize your life and to be more effective and efficient Um even if it's or even just more profitable, can you think of anything? Um, I mean, the rest of what we do is QuickBooks. QuickBooks is um, all of our, you know, everything goes in there between the invoices and everything, and helps us with our our costs and everything like that. But me personally, I'm I'm a little old school. I kind of stay with the. Uh, I have a I have a calendar that I actually open up in a book, not even digital. That you know, some people laugh at, but <laughs> it works for me. So it's you know this way. Nobody can enter it except if it's myself. Um, but I mean, I, I do use spreadsheets for for different things. But technology for me right now is, I mean, I, other than the, other than the phones and the social media and stuff like that, I'm kind of a little old school yeah. in certain certain aspects of that. So you mentioned spreadsheets. Do you create your own spreadsheets, or do you source them from uh, outside? Um, I, for inventory, I create my own. For scheduling, I create my own. For food costing, I create my own. Um, awesome. But other than that, that's pretty much it. Cool. All right, the next question I have for you, Chef, is what is your best business advice? If today, today's version of, you know, Chef went back and you found your, your previous self before you got into the industry, maybe just before going to school or maybe just before going into your own restaurant or being a partner in a restaurant, if you could give yourself one piece of advice, what would you give yourself? Um, I think you kind of touched on it a, bit, a little earlier in the interview. Uh, we had a you were mentioning about going to school and spending all that money. Mm-hmm. I kind of almost wish a little bit that I went to school a little bit later. That I mean, I had a little bit of you know, I started at 15 years old as a dishwasher, 16 you know, working at a, at a ski resort, and then um, I wasn't sure if it's what I wanted to do. I went to college, you know, hoping kind of it was, and then when I got to John Storm, I learned so much and I was very excited. Mm-hmm. But if I would have worked in industry for, I'd say, four or five years after, maybe I wouldn't have gotten the start I did by not going to college. But I would have loved to go to John Stoyles five years after already being in the industry, and this way I could have gotten a lot more out of it, like mm-hmm. a, lot, a, lot, a lot more out of the chefs there. And, you know, I already did learn and I'm tremendous from the school, but I think I would have learned a lot more if I had a good five years knowledge already. Absolutely. I couldn't... I mean, not- don't get me wrong, I had an amazing time partying and having a great time at 18 years old in college, but... 
you know. But back then, I would probably, if I was 17, I wouldn't say that. But now, now, you know, now you look at the, looking back, you probably would better go a little later. Yeah, chef, I could not agree with you more, and I think it's a, a problem. A lot of, and I think it's partially due to the school system today. Uh, schools pushing kids to go to college right after high school. Uh, if you are interested in this industry, take the time to figure out what it is exactly that you like about it, and find out your strengths and weaknesses. And if you can do that, you'll get a lot more out of your investment while you're at it. Yeah, you, you will get a lot more out of school that way. Yeah, absolutely. So are there any questions, Chef, I could have asked you that you think would have brought more value to this interview? Um, is this for the record or is this for, like, uh... This is for, this is for the record. You are live. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, how do you balance personal life and business? It's kind of, uh, to me, it's pretty important. We, um, we try to, I try to give up all my cooks and my sous chefs Always two days off a week, you know. I mean, the restaurant business has uh, has a big rep, bad rap for you know never never seeing family or either you know going out too much because you work too much and stuff like that. I think about having a good balance of your personal life and uh, turning off the personal business is very very important in this business. Like I said, uh, all Absolutely. my sous chefs always work five days a week, try not to make them work anymore. You know, they do sometimes do do eleven, twelve, I mean sometimes fourteen hour days. Which is which could be a real long day, but it, as long as they have their two days off, at least they can do something outside of work. Absolutely, I think that a semblance of a balance is so critical in staying happy. And what advice, what tips do you have to to make the most of your time when you're at the restaurant, so you can get that time away from it, so you can be effective, so you're not completely. They say you don't own a restaurant; a restaurant owns you. I mean, what advice do you have for owning a restaurant so it doesn't own you and, and you can focus on the life? It goes back to earlier in the interview, you know, having having a good team, mm-hmm. uh, having hiring good help. If I didn't have, I mean, I have a tremendous team right now, so it gives me time to you know spend time with my family and do some things outside of work. Because if I didn't have such a great team, it, it wouldn't you know wouldn't be wouldn't be possible. I'd have to be there seven days a week. But because I have a good team, when I'm here, you know, some of my key guys aren't here. I give them the days off that I'm here, and then when I'm not here, they're watching the restaurant. Yeah, it's great that you can have people to lean on and trust and uh, who can just handle it. And uh, You're only as good as your team, so dead on. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to wrap it up, Chef, and we wrap up every episode with you calling somebody out in the industry. Who is an indie restaurant professional, whether it's a general manager, owner, executive chef, that you admire and think would make a great guest mentor on the show? Um, you know, someone I worked for... Long, long time ago, named Champa Spidel, and in, uh, he's got a restaurant called Persimmon in Rhode Island, in Bristol, Rhode Island. I, I worked for a new executive chef at Gracie's back in 1999, and um, I worked for him back then. And I still go and see him probably three times a year at his restaurant. It's, his restaurant is, is amazing. It's awesome. definitely one of the best restaurants in, in Rhode Island, and I love going there. Great. Can you say the name one more time for me? Champ, C H A M P. Awesome name. Champ, I'm coming after you. Uh, I hope to get you on the show. And, uh, Chef, how can the folks at home uh, connect with you? Say if somebody's in Boston and uh, they want to come work for you, what's the best way? Um, send your resume through email, and um, we'll, we'll get you in here for a stage. Is there an email you would like to share with us? Yep, it's rsisca, S-I-S-C-A, and then at bistrodumity.com. 
Awesome. This guy sounds like a great dude to work for. Uh, give him a shout out if you're in Boston. If you want to work for someone great, you're only as good as your mentors. Uh, so give him a shout. Chef, you've been an incredible guest. Uh, you are definitely unstoppable. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to contribute to this melting pot of mentors. Thank you very much for having me. There you have it. Another terrific episode here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Thank you again, Chef Siska. You were amazing, and I really love your advice on just sometimes every great leader first has to be a follower, and you have to be willing to listen and adapt to those who you're working for. And by doing that, you can get noticed and get ahead, and it's something we have to also consider. Um, you know, you might think you know it all, but really that's when you start getting in trouble. So, uh, great piece of advice there. Uh, if you guys want to check out anything we talked about today in the show, go over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash 101, and you'll find the links and recaps to everything we talked about. And again, like always, five-star reviews really do help me get this show noticed, so please do share your thoughts. All right, guys, until next time, peace out.